At this time, the children in kindergarten through second grade are welcome to Children's Church, which uh, if you're here in the sanctuary, you'll find through this door on the left side by the piano. Uh, it's on the second floor of the education wing. Our uh, scripture passage for today in the Gospel of Luke, as we're uh, going through Luke's Gospel, is the baptism and genealogy of Jesus. You know, uh, a lot of people are really enthusiastic about uh, genealogies these days, and uh, I think a lot of people are excited that I'm going to go through this, uh, this genealogy, all these names, and people are looking for a connection with their own name, and... Uh, uh, hoping that I have you know, genealogies for each of these individuals and that I'll have charts up here and handouts for you to take home and you can go find out your connection with the whole thing. Uh, sorry to disappoint you. Uh, you know the, the genealogy, it's a long passage, a lot of words. I can read it. I can pronounce all the names. I'm not going to do it. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a long passage, but I think it makes a very short point. And uh, so what I want to do, I want to read... Uh, read the scripture today, but I think that the baptism in verses 21 uh, to 23, just three verses, I think that's the main point. So we're in Luke chapter 3. If you have one of those pew Bibles, it's uh, page 1016. And I just want to read, uh, I want to read the baptism in its setting. So I'm going to start with chapter 3, verse 1. And read about John's ministry and John's preaching, which Jeremy uh, preached on last Sunday. And then come to the part where there's the transition between John's ministry and the ministry of Jesus. So Luke chapter 3, we're page 1016 in the Pew Bible. Luke chapter 3, verse 1. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysianus, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, as is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, the man with two tunics should share with him who has none, and the one who has food should do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money. 
And don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come. The thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other things, evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all, he locked John up in prison. Then we come to our passage for today. Verse 21, When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli. So what we have here is, is a picture, a little picture in three verses, a small picture. You know when you pick up an old snapshot of a, of a beloved family member, someone you're so familiar with, and you look at it, the whole person appears before you. And you, there's a, a flood of recognition and, and sort of a, a sense of just the summary of, of the whole person. And John is giving us an introduction to Jesus. This is the first time that we meet Jesus in the, in, in the, the, the Gospel of Luke. And, uh, and so he, he's presented to us by Luke. And Luke is saying, here he is. And so as we look at this snapshot, we want to see the connection of, of this little picture with the whole picture of who Jesus is. We want to come to a recognition of who he is. And you know, Christianity is about good news. The Bible is a big book, 66 different books, all different authors spanning a large period of time. There are all different themes in it. It's very complicated. But you know, there's one message. It's the message of good news. And the focus of the whole Bible, the focus of all that message, is Jesus Christ. And if you can see Jesus Christ, then you see the message. And all the teaching of the Bible will start to make sense if you can just look at Jesus Christ, behold him, look at his face, understand who he is. I think this is what, what Paul was talking about in one of his letters in, in 2 Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 6. And Paul says that, uh, that God has made his light shine in our hearts and that, and that all the truth, all the riches, all the reality of Christianity comes from looking at Jesus. This is what he says. He says, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.6 That we see 
God, we see the good news, and we get all the knowledge of all of God's glory in the face of Christ. Not looking at the, you know, a, a, an actual photograph or a painting or, or the Shroud of Turin or something, but beholding the person of Christ with our hearts, recognizing who he is. And so, as we look at this little, this little picture that Luke gives us of Jesus, I want us to look at him and, and see some, some amazing things about him. When this little passage, uh, Luke 3:21 to 23, it gives a portrait of Jesus, you know, and, and, and giving a portrait of someone as great as Jesus is going gonna, is gonna to require a very broad portrait. Of course, it's, very, it's a very small, confined space. But it contains some opposites. And so, as we look at this picture, it's a little bit hard. It's going to strain our eyes. It's going to be demanding to look and see Christ. It will strain your eyes to see Christ as He is. Because you're going to have to tip your head back and look up so high to see the exalted Christ lifted up and so glorious. And then you're going to have to look down and look low and a little lower than you're comfortable looking to see the humility of Christ and how obedient He is and submissive and how He subjects Himself to God and even to people. And so uh, it's going to strain your eyes. It, 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 it demands that we look in opposite directions. But as we look in these two opposite directions, as we see two opposite sides of Christ, each direction we look, there's going to be a challenge and there's going to be an encouragement. There's going to be something that's going to break us down and there's going to be something that builds us up. And so we're going to see two different sides of Christ in, in his baptism. We're going to see that Christ is the king anointed to save you and that Christ is the servant humbled to save you. So Christ is the king, God's king anointed to save you. So John the Baptist's vision that we, that we just read, his, his whole focus, it, when he looked at the Messiah, when he announced that God's king was coming, his whole focus was on the majesty of Christ. That Jesus is God's king coming into the world and so you've got to repent. You've got to get ready. Here's what he said back in verses 16 and 17. He said, I, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. You know, Jesus is going to come and he's going to wean out the people. He's going to winnow the people and he's going to find who is righteous and who is false. And he's going to separate the wheat from the little flakes of, of uh, stuff that's with it, the chaff. And uh, whoa. And so John is calling us to repent. And... And uh, he says he's going to gather the wheat into his barn and the chaff he's going to burn up in unquenchable fire. And so John's message is, Jesus is great, so repent. So in the baptism of Christ, we see his greatness. John isn't disappointed, really. When, when Jesus comes, he is great. He's great, and, uh, and John sees this 
and he's satisfied. Look how great Jesus is in his baptism. Uh, Luke 3:21. When all the people came, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven opened. Jesus prays and God answers. Jesus prays and heaven opens. Uh, so God hears and then God answers because uh, it says then in verse 22, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. You ask God for, you know, for blessings, you ask God for gifts. Uh, imagine the heaven opens and down comes the Holy Spirit. You know, God himself, the ultimate gift. And so Jesus is the anointed king. He is the recipient of the Holy Spirit. Not just a token or a symbol of the Holy Spirit, but, uh, but he really is the full recipient of the Holy Spirit in all his fullness. Of course, the, the dove, the vision of the dove, the, uh, the appearance of the dove, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove, doesn't mean that you know, that's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit turned into a dove. But, uh, but God was giving, giving an appearance. The Holy Spirit was giving a, a token, a manifestation of his presence. And as he comes down, he's showing that Christ has the Spirit in fullness. Total power, ultimate power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of power, God's own power. And life, the life of God who created life, His Spirit in Christ. He's the ultimate healer. He's the one who can give life and He can breathe life into the dead. He can heal. And, uh, and ultimate knowledge. The Spirit of God who knows all the secrets of God. Christ is the teacher. So look how exalted He is. The Holy Spirit comes down upon Him in bodily form as a dove. And then uh, this shows that Christ is anointed. You know, another king was anointed. Other kings have been anointed in Scripture. When David was anointed, it was with oil. And oil was put on him, on his head, by the prophet as a sign of the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so Christ also is anointed. He's the anointed one. The word Christ is just Greek for anointed one. And the Hebrew for Christ, the Hebrew for anointed one, is Messiah. So Jesus is the anointed one. He was, uh, the anointing of a king is a ceremony of setting him apart and recognizing that he's chosen and empowered by God to be king. Jesus Christ is set apart and displayed as the one who is chosen by God to be king when the Holy Spirit comes down and anoints him. Jesus is being anointed king. This is Jesus being anointed as king. Uh, what a majestic anointing. What a great king. Not just oil, but the Spirit himself. And then God approves him. God speaks from heaven. And God's voice is heard uh, speaking and testifying about his son. And he says, This is my son. My son. And uh, of course, the, the word is used in the Old Testament background. Uh, it's sort of, the, sort of the language of kingship. 
that the king is the son of God. Let me read you some words from, uh, from the Old Testament, from a psalm, actually a psalm written about King David, but a psalm which uh, has, ha, had always been understood to point beyond King David to the great king, God's king, God's anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. Psalm 2, and uh, I'll just pick it up in verse Six, Psalm 2, verse 6. God speaking, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So there's Christ, the majestic Christ, so lifted up, so high. God speaks from heaven and says, Here's my Son. And of course, the Son of God is the King, and we understand that it's kind of a metaphor that, that um, you know, so to speak, the, the King, he does God's work like a son does a father's work. But with Christ, it's more than just a metaphor. With Jesus, he is the Son in a deeper, broader sense that maybe is, is, wasn't even quite understood fully in the Old Testament and in the prophecies because when Jesus' birth was announced, wasn't Mary told that the holy child that you will bear will be called the Son of God and the reason was given. It isn't because he's going to be the king and Son of God is sort of a metaphor for the person who serves in God's place and who wields God's power. No. She was told he will be called the Son of God because the Spirit of the Most High will overshadow you and the power of God will come upon you and the child will be conceived of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is the Son of God in a much broader and deeper and more real sense. And so look how high he is. Look how high he is. He is God's Son. He is God from God. If he is God's son, he has God's nature. He has God's life. He has God's character. He has God's name. He has God's power. He is God's son. Uh, look how lifted up and high Jesus is. And so God says of him, My son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And so the relationship between the father and the son is one of love and pleasure. The father loves him. The father will never fail him. The Father will never disappoint him. The Father is committed to him forever. Imagine how high the Son of God is. And the Son always pleases the Father. The Father delights in him. So, so this is a, a, a relationship that Jesus is in with the Father that goes above and beyond anything we can imagine. Look how great Christ is. And as you look... Look and see him, and as you look at Christ, that will drive out sin. 
It will break down sin and it will bring you to repentance. As we look and see the exalted king, that will bring us to repentance. That will break sin down in our lives. And that was, uh, that was John the Baptist's point. He was saying, look, the king is coming. Greater than I. You better get ready. He's coming. And you better get the sin out of the way. And that was the message Jeremy was bringing last week. And uh, it's, it's the message that, that keeps coming back to us. Uh, you, you look at Peter. Look over in chapter 5 and verse 8. Peter meets Jesus. And it's the same thing. Chapter 5, verse 8, if you just flip over a page. And uh, Simon Peter is out fishing and uh, he's just come back from a whole night of fishing. He's cleaning his nets. Jesus borrows his boat to stand out there and uses a podium so he can address the audience. And after he, after he preaches, he says, Hey, Peter, let's, let's do a little more fishing. Oh, come on. Night is the time to fish, but okay, if you say so. So they go and they drop down the nets and they take in this huge catch of fish and Peter realizes who he's dealing with. Peter looks and he realizes who this is. He's heard the teaching. He's seen the life. He's looked at Jesus. And it dawns on him that he's dealing with the Son of God. It dawns on him that Christ is exalted. He starts to see Christ for who He is. He starts to recognize Christ's greatness. And what's Peter's response? It says in verse 8 that uh, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said to him, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. There's no room for sin when we see Jesus for who he is. Uh, flip back with me uh, later in the back of the book of Luke. Luke chapter 20. Luke 20. And uh, here Jesus is giving a parable called the parable of the tenants. I want you to look at verse 13. Luke 20, verse 13. That's page 1041. And again, Jesus, uh, Jesus, in this story, he talks about how his greatness challenges people to repent. Because in this story, God has been sending his prophets, he's been sending his messengers to tell the people to repent and to give the fruit to the king, to give the fruit to the landowner, to give the fruit that God deserves. And uh, in the story, the people, they, every one of these messengers who comes from the owner, they chase him away and they throw him out. And then in verse 13, look, what, look how Jesus pictures the father speaking. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. So when the Son comes, at least when the, the, the Son of God comes, at least people will sit up and take notice. And so look and see the majesty of Christ. Look and see how exalted and high He is so that your sin can be broken down. Look who it is who has come to save you. And sin will lose its allure. Look who it is who has come for you. Look who it is who has come to be anointed and who has come to call you to follow him. And when you see his greatness, then the great attractions of sin will seem small and not so impressive. 
and the fears of the world will not seem so great and threatening and you'll be ready to follow Christ because he's great. So, uh, a clear look at Christ, it challenges us, but it also encourages us. It breaks something down, it breaks down sin, but it also builds something up. It builds up faith. When you see Christ, the King, then your faith will be strengthened. When you see him for who he is and how powerful and majestic he is, your faith will be built up. Look in Luke chapter 7. We're just going to flip around in Luke. And that's, that, this is how I'm going to get illustrations uh, today. To, because we're, we're, we're having an introduction. Introduction of Jesus. So I want to just sort of um, illustrate with his whole life. Take a little snapshot and remember a lot of things about Jesus' life as we look at the snapshot. So look in chapter 7. Remember the story. The, the, the centurion, a great soldier. And, uh, hey, my, my button just fell off. So we have this great soldier. And, uh, and he's, he's a righteous person. And the people love him. The Jewish people love him because he's given money to build their synagogue. And, and uh, he's got a servant who's sick. A very, you know, a servant that he really loves. And so he, you know, he tells some of the, the Jewish people, hey, you know, I know Jesus could heal this servant. Would you go ask him just to do that? And, um, and uh, Jesus agrees to come. They tell him, look, this man deserves it. And uh, Jesus agrees to come. Let's pick it up in verse 8. So Jesus went with them. And he was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. And that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes. I tell that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus, I get it. Jesus, I understand. I know who you are. I know how great you are. I know what you're like. You just say it, and it's done. You're the Son of God. I know who you are. I, I can see clearly. And when I recognize who you are, Jesus, I can trust you. I believe you have the power. If you just say it, it'll be done. You don't have to come here and wave your hands and say all kinds of things over my servant. I know if you just say that he'll be healed, he'll be healed. I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. So... Uh, so a look at Jesus, a clear look at Jesus, will build up faith. Um, do you get discouraged about your sin? Do you get discouraged about whether you can be saved? Do you get discouraged as you see how far you fall short and how you keep falling short? Look how great your Savior is. Remember, remember the stories where he, he was going to... Uh, he was going into some Pharisee's house and there's that sinful woman who comes and she weeps over him. She's weeping over her sins and her tears are falling on his feet and she wipes his feet with her hair and kisses his feet. And uh, Jesus says, you know, she's, she's loved much because she's been forgiven much. And he takes her and he says, your sins are forgiven. Whoa! Who can forgive sins but God alone? 
Jesus says your sins are forgiven. Christ is able to save. He's able to cleanse. He's able to work in your life. Look to Christ and be saved. He has the power. He's exalted. Get a clear view of Christ and your faith will grow. So now we've seen one side of the picture. This is a complicated picture. We've strained our eyes to look up to see how majestic Christ is, to see how holy and awesome He is. Now let's strain our eyes to see how lowly He is. There's no friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. He's come down so low. He's God's servant, humbled to save you. He is God's king, anointed to save you. He is God's servant, humbled to save you. As you see Christ in his baptism snapshot, you'll see someone humbled so low you might not really be comfortable seeing that. Most of us, we're we're a bit higher up. We keep ourselves a bit higher up than we really ought to. And most of us need to come down several notches. And uh, there's no one who has ever taught people to humble themselves the way Christ has. So it's, it's amazing, this, this Christ, so high and so low in one person. So let's look back again in our passage in Luke chapter 3 and uh, look now again at this baptism snapshot and see the other side, see the other aspect of the picture, that Jesus is God's servant humbled to save you. So look at verse 21. Look at the occasion. Look where Jesus has come. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. This was a service. This was an occasion. This was a ceremony for repenting of sin. This was a gathering of sinners. And Jesus came and joined in with them. And exactly why was Jesus baptized? I mean, it it doesn't explain why he was baptized. And so we can come up with explanations of why. Maybe the best explanation is that he wanted to unite himself, connect himself with sinners. Because obviously he didn't have any sin because you look, he comes and he's baptized and heaven opens and God says, I'm delighted with you. Everything you do is so great. I love you. You're my son. So it wasn't that Jesus needed to repent, but it's that uh, he wanted to save, that he came to save. He came from heaven for a purpose. Not to judge, not to condemn, but to save. And so he's, he's connecting himself. He's showing that he's one of us. He's giving approval to John the Baptist and his ministry. He's giving approval to all that the people are doing in, in repenting and being baptized and pledging to live for God a new life. And he's becoming one of us. What humility. He, um, he prays. He bows on his knees, I suppose, and he looks up to God and prays. Like a man, he prays. Here's the Son of God, whom God delights in, whom God loves, who is, who is used to living in the throne room of God, and now he prays like a man. He's come down so far. And the, and, uh, the voice addresses him 
the voice that addresses him from heaven, it addresses him. And it says, you are my beloved son. And uh, wouldn't, wouldn't you have wanted, if it were you, wouldn't you have wanted, wanted to say, yeah, I know, I know I am. But tell them, tell them. Tell them who I am. But the voice just comes to him. You know, it, it looks like, you know, as you compare the, 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 the different versions of this story in Matthew and Mark and John, it, it seems like this was probably a vision that really only a few people saw. John the Baptist seemed to see it. Jesus saw it. But it, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't seem like the, the crowds saw it necessarily. Uh, however that may be, even if the crowds saw it, it was only that one little crowd that was right there for that time, and they still didn't get it. Oh, Jesus would, would have wanted the whole world to hear for the thundering voice to come every morning and remind us, Jesus is my Son whom I love, that Jesus could be exalted in the whole world. That's what He deserves, even more than that. But what does He get? This quiet little thing, the little voice that really seems to come to Him, you, hey, I love you. You're doing great. You're my Son. I love you. You're doing great. And, uh, oh, that's, that's wonderful. That's wonderful, Dad. You know, it's a wonderful father. But uh, Jesus is humbled. He's brought down. He's not receiving the honor that he deserves. And so, look, he's thought to be the son of Joseph. Here we have this whole great genealogy. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of us would love to have a genealogy like that, you know, with royalty in the background and, you know, traced all the way back to Adam. I mean, hey, that's great. Um, but but for, for the Son of God, this is a tawdry genealogy. This is a humbling genealogy. He has the heavenly claim to be king. This is a worldly claim to his kingship. This is just a matter of who was who and who was connected to who. And, and this is worldly stuff. And it's a bunch of, it's a whole line of names Every one of them is a sinner. Every one of them unclean. Not a single one of them worthy of the Son of God. Jesus Christ is humbling himself from so high coming so low to save us. Not taking all the honor that he deserves, but allowing himself to be thought the son of Joseph. Connecting himself with Adam, with all of us. He wants to be connected with us. He's not ashamed to be called our brother. Listen to what it says in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. This is what's so great about Jesus, is that he humbles himself. Hebrews, chapter 2, verse 11. Both the one who makes men holy, Jesus makes us holy, both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. And then again in verse 17, Hebrews 2:17, for this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus was humbling himself to save. And so he was baptized to be connected with us. A clear look at Jesus will break your pride. A clear look at Jesus 
will teach you humility. A clear look at Jesus will bring you to bow before the King, to bow before God. So, um, you remember the, the, the stories of the disciples? They would always talk about who's the greatest? Which one of us is the greatest? There's a story like that in Luke 9. Look in Luke 22. Even at the Last Supper, they still didn't get it. They're still arguing about who's the greatest. Right there at the Last Supper, as Jesus is being betrayed, as he's talking about how he's going off to be crucified, how, how humiliating for the Son of God to come down and have to endure these slow, thick-headed disciples like me. And, and look at his patience. Look at his patience. But Jesus uses his humility as an object lesson. And he encouraged his, his disciples, look at my humility and let it sink in so that you get the message of who I am and what salvation is and what the gospel is all about and so that it will start to change your lives. Look at uh, Luke chapter 22 and verses 24 to 27. Here they are arguing about who's the greatest. And uh, verse 25, Jesus said to them, the, Gentile, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? Well, duh. The one at the table is the great one. The servant, I mean, that's the loser. Look at the end of verse 27. Is it not the one who is at the table? Yeah, he's the great one. But I am among you as one who serves. Look at me. See it. Get it. I'm serving. Christ humbles himself that we will look at him that we will see it and that we will get it. The good news is that God the Son made himself nothing. Though he was rich, he made himself poor so that we could be rich in every way. And that vision of Christ humbling himself transforms people's lives. It transforms people's hearts. It's the good news. It's, it's what is so joyful in Christianity uh, it's, it's a joy to humble yourself. It's a joy to step down and not have to always defend yourself, not always have to be the best, but to be able to, uh, to just humble yourself and accept who you are. So a clear look at Jesus will, will teach you to bow. It will break down your pride, but it will also build you up. It will build up your hope. As you see Jesus humbling himself, hope will spring up in your breast. See Jesus. See Jesus at the dinner. Here's the Pharisee. So proud, so hard-hearted. He doesn't give Jesus the, you know, the, the normal foot washing. But here's this woman who's weeping over her sins, washing his feet with her tears. And uh, Jesus is very patient with this hard-hearted Pharisee. Jesus is very patient with me, hard-hearted as I am. There's hope. There's hope still. Jesus is patient. Jesus is patient with this woman, sinful as she is. He's ready to forgive. He's ready to forgive her. He accepts 
the love and the adoration and the worship of this sinful woman as she cries over her sins and gets her messy tears all over his feet and wipes them with her sinful hair and kisses them with her sinful kisses, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven because the one who is, because you loved much. So look at Christ, see his great love and let it bring love into your heart. Let it teach you humility. Let it fill you with hope. Do you feel that, that you're hopeless? Do you feel that you can't live the Christian life, that you can't become a Christian, that you can't follow Christ, that it's too hard? Christ is patient. He is so holy. He is so powerful, but he is so patient. So keep hoping in Christ. It's not too late for you. There is hope. The ladder reaches all the way to heaven and it reaches all the way down to where we are. The ladder Jacob saw in his dream as he, as he slept and he saw God putting a ladder there. The ladder Jesus spoke about. You'll see the angels ascending and descending on this ladder. Jesus is the ladder. Jesus reaches all the way down to where we are. And he is able to take you right into the throne room of God. He is holy enough. He is righteous enough to do it. Listen to the words in Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. The Lord Jesus Christ, great as he is, has humbled himself. Let me see. Now Mark was saying something about Gentiles eat pork chops. How did that go? Something about pork chops. Here's Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. The uh, verses 6 and 7. Listen to verse 6. Talks about Jesus Christ and who he is. Look how high he is. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. See your king. See your savior. See how high he is. And let his greatness break down sin. Let his greatness build up faith in your heart. See how low he is. Verse 7. But he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. See how low he is. Let Christ's humility break down pride and build up faith. stand together. We want to close our service by together looking at the Lord. Let's look at him together and sing of the great power of his love. Lord, I come to you. Let my heart be
be here. I'd love to pray with you after the service if there's anything on your heart. And now let's pray. Father, thank you for the wonderful, glorious Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, and also truly man. And thank you that the Godhead is veiled in flesh and we behold him, humbled and coming to us meekly, and serving. Oh, it's so amazing, Father. It's so humbling. We don't want to be served by someone so great. It's humiliating. But, Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you that you've laid your hand on us and you won't let go. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.